I want to talk to you today about a simple teaching, and some of it is going to be to remind you of some things, but some of it is really going to, you know, open a new avenue of thinking for, for your life. But so I want to talk to you about a, a t- my title is simply You Are Priceless. My subtitle is How to Access Your Worth and Heal Your Soul. How to Access Your Worth and Heal Your Soul. And um, and so and we're going to we're going to touch on a lot of things today, uh, but I, I really want to zero in on on one of the main points. Um, uh, a few years ago, I put a teaching together called Seven Things That Will Heal Your Soul, uh, Seven Ways to Have a Healthy Soul. Well, we talked about one of them. One of them was to meditate on God's word day and night. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. And um, and uh, of course, we talked about how to not be offended you know, to not let to not be, to not become an emotionally ruled person or to learn how to stop being an emotionally ruled person, because God gave us emotions, but he didn't give us emotions to rule over us. He called us to rule over our emotions. Right. And being overly sensitive can be very destructive in our lives and um, being offended and being defensive can really uh, hurt your life. And, you know, there's something to be said about that that particular point I talked about uh, the way that I phrased it was having overly sensitive emotions, which is a nice way of saying being easily offended. And um, and my my thought on that and I'll come back to Mark eight in a minute. But my thought on that is uh, one of the things that robs us of our of our sense of value and robs us of our sense of worth is when we put too much stock in how people treat us. We invest in people's opinion of us. And this is what makes us easily offended when we're fragile in our understanding of our own identity. We become so susceptible to people's opinion of our identity. So we allow the way people talk to us and the way people treat us to shape our view of ourselves. And when we when we do that, we're giving them power over our lives. We're giving them power over our emotions and we're giving them power to shape how we see ourselves. And what we need to learn is it works the other way. We don't wait for the right people to give us a good identity and a good view of our of our of our life and our personality or good opinion of ourselves of us. But rather, we get that from God. We uh, we 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 get our sense of identity and worth and value from knowing what God thinks about us. And then what people say to you has less value. Now, you can be thankful for a compliment, but but you don't have to crave it. You can be thankful for a compliment, but you don't have to constantly, constantly perform to get a compliment or constantly manipulate people to get a compliment or constantly try to attract and get attention to get a compliment. It's it's great to get a compliment and you can be thankful, but don't crave it. It's great to have somebody have a good opinion of you, but don't crave it and don't shape your life to have so that people will have a good opinion of you. Shape your life. Let God shape your life based on his opinion of you, because what really is happening when we get offended is that we become defensive people and a defensive person is a person that is defending themselves against the wrong things. We only become defensive people when we instead of guarding our heart from a wrong belief system, we end up guarding our heart 
against any criticism or critique. Like if you have a proper view of yourself from God's point of view, then you can handle criticism. If you don't live in guilt all the time, if you if, if you just get the book, you'll never live in guilt another day of your life. But only when you live in guilt and condemnation, you end up feeling bad about yourself. So you can't take criticism when you feel bad about yourself. You can't take critique. You take it personally. Oh, help me now. You end up taking everything personally because your soul is depending on other people's opinion of you. Your soul is is sick. Your soul is unhealthy. So therefore, you're relying on the way people treat you to determine the condition of your soul or the condition of your emotions or the condition of your mind. And what we need to do is we need to uh, we need to shape. We need to let our emotions and our beliefs about ourselves be built upon God's belief system about you. Boy, if we get a hold of this, that Peter, the apostle, started out with some really bad characteristics about himself. Uh, Ear cutter offer. (laughs) Denier of the Lord three times by 5 a.m. Walks on the water and sinks. Tells Jesus, no, your plan's wrong. Let's come up with a better plan. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Calls Peter Satan. Like, think about that. How, (laughs) I mean, how much damage do you think that would do to someone if the only person, the only person Peter ever trusted was Jesus and Jesus nicknames him Satan. I got a new nickname for you, Satan. And get behind me, by the way. Because you put man's interests ahead of God's. But so Peter had a lot of flaws. But even though he went through all that, the one thing that overwhelmed Peter's soul ultimately was Jesus had faith in Peter. Jesus believed in Peter. Even when Peter, even when he told him, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, heck no. Remember that? Well, he didn't say it like that. He cussed. (laughs) Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. But then he said, but when you return, strengthen your brothers. He didn't say, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And if you can make it through that, strengthen your brothers. He said, when you make it through that. Jesus had the ultimate faith in Peter. I believe that we're saved by faith, but it's not just our faith in Jesus. It's his faith in us like he believed in you. Don't don't make it a theology. I'm just giving you a concept here, uh, uh, just an idea of God's love that he believed in you so much that he sent Jesus for you. God believed in you so much that he sent his son to rescue you, to find you. He believed in you so much that he invested his Holy Spirit in you. He believed in you so much he gave you gifts beyond belief. He gave you the gifts of of healing and and tongues and authority to cast out demons and the gifts of faith. And you go through the Bible and there's gift after gift. God just never stops giving. He said, my peace I give to you. My love I give to you. 
My spirit I give to you. My promises I give to you. My armor of righteousness and shield of faith and breastplate of righteousness and helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. I'm giving it all to you. Oh, he's so generous. Why would he do all that? Because he believes in you. What what turned Peter around was not Peter's faith in Jesus. What turned Peter's life around was Jesus faith in Peter. When Peter failed, Jesus still believed in him. Do you understand what I'm trying? I'm not trying to make a theology. I'm trying to show you the heart of God. Don't go out of here and say, he said, we're not saved by we're not saved by faith. We're saved by God's faith. We're saved. Well, anyway, whatever faith you have, God gave it to you. It's all a gift from God anyway. Do you know that, though, that he believes in you more than you believe in him? You're welcome. The Lord just told me to tell you you're welcome. Someone said, thank you, Lord. So the Lord just told me to tell them you're welcome. I was just prophesying. You're welcome, says the Lord. Okay, just fooling around. All right, keep going here. Did he really say that? Uh, So. I I wrote something down here, I just want to get across to you that that um, this thing about um, being being offended and being defensive, you got to clear your heart of what I call people guilt. That's the the where we carry around with us the responsibility for how everyone feels around us. Like we got to make sure everybody feels good around us and feels good about us. That's people guilt. We got to stop feel, being responsible for how everybody else feels and we got to be responsible for how we feel. And you got to be responsible for how. Now, that doesn't mean that if you mistreat somebody that you shouldn't apologize. Of course you should. Um, and, and don't try not to mistreat people. But what I'm saying is you're going to be mistreated. and You got to be a person that doesn't need them to treat you a certain way for you to be secure and for you to be happy. Your security needs to come from God's view of you. When you have a view of your pricelessness, when you have an understanding of your pricelessness, then you no longer devalue yourself and you no longer make bad decisions to obtain a sense of worth and value. I don't know if this is something that strikes home with you, but it strikes home with me because when you know how valuable you are, you stop making bad decisions. When you know how valuable you are, look, um, when like when you get a new car, like I like my car and, and hopefully you like your car. But when you know, when the car gets a little older and not as you know, and it's not doesn't have that that new feeling about it, that new sense of valuableness about it and worth, you don't treat it as well. When you first get it, man, if you see a scratch, you buff it out. Right. If somebody comes near you, you curse at them and you flip, give them finger. Don't don't come near my car. I value this too much. I'm just kidding. Hopefully you don't do that. Um, But when you value something, you take better care of it. When you don't value something, you don't take good care of it. The way that you care for something is completely determined by how much you value it. So if you value your heart, you'll watch over your heart. I've tried to give you reasons over and over again of why you should value your heart. Why? Because your heart 
is where dreams are conceived. Your heart is where the seeds are planted for your harvests. Your heart is where you believe, and your heart is what determines whether you'll have successful or failing relationships based on the softness or hardness of your heart. So when you value your heart like that, then you will take better care of it. Just the way you would value your car, you'll take better care of your car when you value it. Like my car knows not to go in the wrong direction. Like somehow I was pulling up to the movie theater one day and there's this favorite spot that I have when I go to the movies. It was like a Saturday morning or something. But my, in, my, in my favorite spot, there was this, somebody dumped a bag of garbage. Like they got all their, all, whatever they were drinking the night before, whatever they were eating the night before, and whatever came up out of them after they were finished drinking and eating the night before. It's all there. And my car, literally, I'm, try, I'm heading towards my parking space and my car literally turns and I'm fighting with the steering wheel because my car knows its value and my car know, values me and I value it. And this is what happens when I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little here. I don't lie, just exaggerate. But... My, my point is, is when you value yourself the way God values you, you begin to you automatically just go in the right direction and you move away from the wrong direction. Does that make sense? It's like so when you realize he said he said the reason why you guys are committing fornication and sexual immorality and and all gossip and all these things there because these are damaging to your soul. They don't, they, don't, they don't keep you out of heaven. You're saved by grace through faith, right? Right? <laughs> Ephesians 2.8, by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the free gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay? You're saved by grace. Say, I'm saved by grace through faith. Okay, it's a gift of God. Say, it's a free gift of God. All right. So, the reason Paul said, you guys, you're fornicating and you're doing this and all these immoral things. You know why you're doing that? He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, because you have forgotten that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like he's not saying, he said, don't you know that you're the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? What he, he's not saying Hey, remember, the Holy Spirit's in you, so don't smoke anymore because the Holy Spirit doesn't like Marlboros. He's not saying, don't drink anymore because the Holy Spirit will, be, you know, will feel drunk and, and he doesn't want to be influenced by, by alcohol. He's not saying those things. He's not saying, stop fornicating because the Holy Spirit's going to be really offended. He's not saying that. He's saying, you must not value yourself because if you realize the, the Holy Spirit, if you realize you're the temple of God and the Holy Spirit lived in you, you would value yourself more and you wouldn't put things in your body that hurt you. It's all about value. It's all about value. So if you go back to Mark 8, 36, he says, he's, Jesus makes it very clear. What does it profit a man? In Mark 8, 36, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. 
Now, this has been preached in a condemning way from from preachers for years. Stop going after the world. You're going to lose your soul, you worldly sinner, you. That's not what he's saying. What he's doing is he's ascribing value to your soul. He's trying to get us to understand your soul is more valuable than if you gained the whole world. If you gained the whole world, it would still be far less valuable than your soul. So you should be more interested in valuing your soul than in than in obtaining the whole world. Because even if you could, nobody can obtain the whole world. But even if you could, your soul is still more valuable than that. Why? Because first Peter 118 says first Peter, chapter one, verse 18 says you have not been redeemed by by perishable, corruptible things like silver and gold. See, we've placed so much value on silver and gold that, the, that, that whatever gold is worth sort of is the, and used to be the standard by which all other currencies were measured by gold. It still, you know, in some ways is, but not as much because we print so much paper money, we've lost its true value. But thank God, God is your source, not the government and not, you know, uh, U.S. currency or any currency. Come on, help me now. I don't want to get into the world's economic system because if we connect, as long as we're connected to God's economic system, God will always provide for us. No matter who's in government, whether it's Caesar, whether it's, you know, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Julius. So there's Julius Caesar, there's Augustus Caesar, there's Barack Obama, there's Donald Trump. It does not matter. What matters is, are you connected to Jesus and his economic system rather than putting your hope in the government? Because in two years or six years, there's going to be a different president, maybe worse, maybe better. We got to stop picking the wrong battles. These political battles are the wrong battles. You've got to start valuing yourself. You've got to start valuing how priceless you are to God. You were not redeemed with silver and gold. And what if, what if America stored up all the gold and now you're depending on whatever America says, whatever the government says. We've got to stop valuing something that the Bible calls corruptible. The Bible calls perishable. He said you weren't redeemed with something perishable like silver and gold. No, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers. No, you were redeemed, verse 19 says, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You want to know how valuable you are? You want to know how priceless you are? You want to know how valuable you are? Realize that you weren't bought with something corruptible. You weren't bought with with a world currency or U.S. currency or Japanese currency or Chinese currency or Democrat currency or Republican currency. You were bought with heaven's currency by the priceless blood, the precious blood of the lamb. That's how valuable you are. That's how valuable you are. And that's something you've got to that's something you've got to believe It's something you've got to understand. It's something you've got to guard. And then it's something you've got to use. You got to believe it. You got to understand it. You got to guard it. 
And then you got to use it. You know how you use your value. You stand up against every mountain in your life and you say in the name of Jesus, a blood bought man of God, a blood bought woman of God is now speaking to you mountain, um, a, a man or woman that is so priceless and valuable because I was bought with the precious blood of the lamb that I speak to you mountain. This mountain was made with the hands, made with the hands of God. But my life is my life was was created and carved and filled by the hand of God, filled by the breath of God. You were made just with the hand of God. I was made with the breath of God. And therefore, the breath has more power than the hand. And I speak to you in the name of Jesus. Be removed and cast into the sea. Now, somebody that doesn't have a sense of value about themselves isn't going to speak with authority to the mountain. You're going to come up and say, well, would somebody please pray to break this mountain and move this mountain? Are you going to say, oh, the mountain, the mountain, oh, the mountain, oh, the mountain. You'll be running around the mountain when she comes. She'll be running around the mountain when she comes. (laughs) You've got to rise up to your true worth and realize He didn't make you valuable by buying you with his blood and redeeming you with his blood. He saw your value. He knew your value. He created you with value and said, my kid is so valuable that I will buy him back from the devil with my own blood. Because Adam sold his soul for rock and roll. No, he sold his soul. All right. I get back in the spirit here, Pastor. All right. Adam sold his soul to the devil. And Jesus came to the earth and took the devil's authority back through his blood and redeemed you. Happy now? All right. So when you know your value, you guard your heart. You protect your heart. You feed your soul what's good for it when you value it. When you know your value, you stop worrying because God takes care of the birds and the lilies of the field. I was noticing it the other day. I notice this all the time. I have never seen a skinny bird Every bird I see near my house is like, they literally like this, and they're proud of it. They're like, (laughs) they're bold, man. (laughs) Why? Because they know God feeds them. Whether they know it or not, God feeds them. It's sort of like, it doesn't even take any faith for God to feed a bird. He feeds them because he cares about them. But how much more, where's that scripture where it says, how much more valuable are you than they? How much, how much more valuable are you than they? So worry leaves you. Maybe you guys can find that verse somewhere in Matthew 6 or something. How much more valuable are you than they? Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That's when he says, verse 27, 
You don't have to worry. Look at what he, let's, let's go on in that verse. He goes on to talk about the kingdom of God. He said, so why, why are you worrying? It's not going to add anything. God's going to take care of you because he values you. The birds don't even have to believe. They just exist. And God values them, but he values you so much more. You see, we really have a misunderstanding of faith. We think faith is some like something we have to muster up. Jesus said, if you just have a mustard seed of faith, not mustering up. Oh, I got to believe. I got to believe. I got to believe. It's just like what are you what we're believing in is our value that God has towards us. Believe how valuable you are to God and you will stop worrying because every one of us have been provided for. And, you know, all of the poverty and all of the hunger in the world could be taken care of like that. Do you know that there is enough food in America to feed the whole? Did you even know that? It's not the generosity of America that's limited. It's perverted, controlling governments in other places that stop the flow and control whatever comes in. And when we when when America or I'm not just I'm not talking about how great America is. I'm talking about how great God is that in one country alone, just in America, probably the same with 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 Great Britain. They probably have enough. China certainly has. enough. In other words, some countries have enough food for everybody in the world. So there's not a food shortage. There's a there's a greed. There's a presence of greed among people that control the economies. Man, I don't have time to get into this, so stop distracting me. Listen, you have to realize, though, God is God has made enough food. There is enough food for everybody. It's corrupt people and corrupt governments that are keeping it from the hands of the poor. When you know your value, worry leaves. You start seeing yourself God's way. You start seeing things God's way. You even start seeing people God's way. And you just don't get overly sensitive anymore. You just you you too you value yourself too much that you're not going to allow stress to get your blood pressure up. You're not going to allow it to get your heart rate going. You're not going to allow it to get anger working against you and against other people. So value, you're priceless. Say I'm priceless. So we talked about how to take care of our soul and have a healthy soul. You've got to meditate on God's word day and night. Right. Meditating. Meditation. Is God's best medication doesn't mean that there's not a place for doctors and medicine, but meditating on God's word is meditation on God's word is the best medication. Meditation is the best medication because meditating on God's word heals you. He sent his word and healed them. Psalm 107, verse 20 says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. I believe that the word of God can heal you of anything. It can heal you of any disease and any sickness, and it can deliver you from anything that is destroying you. So whether that's cancer destroying you, whether that's an addiction destroying you, whether that's some bad habit destroying you, whether it whatever it is that is at work to destroy you, God's remedy is his word. 
he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. So it's really the problem is that there is there is no lack of cures for all that ails mankind. There's just a lack of distribution of God's words that heal. So think about it. You go to a church, not this church, but you can go to a church where they tell you, well, God doesn't heal or God sometimes heals and sometimes he doesn't or God sometimes heals some people and sometimes he chooses not to heal others. See, that ignorance of God's character and, and that that assault on God's character is what really is an assault on what Jesus did. If by his stripes we're healed, then why are we now all of a sudden thinking that God chooses not to apply Jesus stripes to you, but he'll apply Jesus stripes to somebody else? No, you're too valuable to be left out. You know how people say, well, some people are supposed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and some people aren't. That's a gift for some, but it's not a gift for all. And the only people that ever say that are the people that don't receive it. They choose not to receive it. You know, I'm getting a little mad that you guys are distracting me into other topics. You know, I I forgive you. But stop it. The only person that says God doesn't heal everybody is the person that feels that he didn't heal them. If I'm not walking in my healing, I'm not going to now define my theology by my experience. What I believe is based on what God's word says. If there's a disconnect between what God's word says and what I'm experiencing, there's not a problem with God's word. There's a problem with what I'm experiencing. And I'm just going to believe and trust and, you know, and, and keep letting the word be sent to my mind and sent to my body. He sent his word and healed them. Maybe you just haven't had enough word being sent your way for the healing to come. Maybe it's got to penetrate through so many wrong beliefs that it takes a while to kick down all those walls and kick down all those sacred cows. All right. So I'm going to close with this last point about how to have a healthy soul and how to heal your soul and how to access your worth. And it's something I've alluded to, but I want to just take a few moments and just just nail it for a minute. And and since the bears don't play till seven o'clock, you're okay. Still going to let you out. I got to go preach the next service. So I'm just let you out soon, but you, you, you shouldn't want me to. Um, I want to tell I want to I want to take a last few minutes to talk to you about the power of associations, the power of associations, not the PTA and, you know, some club you're in, but who you surround yourself with, who you surround yourself with. Um, the uh, famous author, um, Napoleon Hill, he wrote a book in 1937 called Think and Grow Rich. It's a bestseller. And he said this, he said, men take on the nature and the habits and the power of thought of those with who they associate. He said, people take on the nature and the habits and the power of thought 
of those with who they associate. Um, another author, Thomas Corley, said he, he interviewed he interviewed successful people for five years and their daily habits. And he studied them and found one characteristic that rose to the top that was a common denominator for all of these successful people. He found that they avoid one type of person at all costs, negative people. So he wrote in his book, Change Your Habits, Change Your Life, he said, you are only as successful as those who you frequently associate with, who you frequently associate with. That's why it's so important to be around frequently at church. Once a month isn't going to cut it. You can come once a month. You're still saved. God still loves you. I still love you. I'm mad at you, but I still love you. No, I'm just kidding. Just because you're missing out. You can come once a year and God still love you and you'll get something out of the teaching that once. But you imagine when you come, man, I haven't been here in six months. And what I heard today was so life changing. Imagine hearing that twice a week. How about start with just once a week? I'm not trying to put some legalistic thing on you, but who you associate with matters. That's why you need to associate with the people of God in church, frequently gathered together. So we have a man named David. And David was, he killed the lion, he killed the bear, he killed Goliath. He was a lion slayer. And if you want to kill the lions in your life, you've got to surround yourself with lion killers. And I want you to see something in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, real quick. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, so David is under attack from Saul. And so David, instead of fighting Saul, because Saul was king, David does not fight with the authority in his life. He, but he doesn't want to get, he could have destroyed Saul, but he chose not to because he respected those in authority in his life, which is what we should always do. God will deliver us when we respect godly authority. And when we respect authority, even when they make mistakes. Come on now. Your parents, if you respect your parents, you don't respect them because they were perfect. They made a lot of mistakes. Thank God you weren't one of them. Right? You were were the best thing that ever happened to them. And you're the best thing that ever happened to them. Well, if you can figure that song out, then you're you're led by the Holy Spirit because I sure sure didn't sing it well. But let me tell you something. He He didn't try to kill Saul, even though Saul tried to kill him. You know, when somebody attacks you, don't attack back. Trust God. So David departed and escaped from Saul at the cave of Adullam. Watch this now. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they, they went down to him and where he was. And verse two, look at what it says. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt. Notice how he describes it. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. It's funny, everyone, he says it three times, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 of them. They gathered to David. These are the people that, the guys that were the worst, they were the most bitter, they were the most negative, they were the most, they were the poorest, they were the most emotionally distraught. Their three greatest characteristics were they were in distress, they were in debt, 
and they were discontented. Those were the best characteristics these guys had. But you notice one of the smartest things these men did was they understood the power of association. So they came to David in their distress, in their debt and in their discontentedness, and they gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now, notice who's influencing who David is not influenced negatively by their debt, distress and discontentment. David is the captain over them. You've got to make up your mind today that you're going to be captain over your debt. You're going to be captain over your distress. You're going to be captain over your discontentment. And you're going to surround yourself with people that have learned how to rule over and be captain over their discontentment. We've got to stop being the prisoner of our discontentment. Whatever you do not become the captain of, you will become the captive of. Did you hear what I said? Whatever you do not become the captain of, you will become the captive of. Boy, I wish you could get this. I wish I could explain this better. Three things that all these men had in common. Distress, that's emotional. That's pressure. That's don't know what to do. Debt, that's financial. Discontentment, that's their attitude. Bitter, negative. And they gathered to David. The church is like David. We gather. The church has slain lions. I wish I could get it. I think when we come, come, upon, come up upon our church anniversary, I'll tell you about some of the giants this church has slayed, has slain, has killed, has whatever, cut through. It's the people that had faith and believed. But he became captain over them. Are you captain over your debt? Or are you a captive to it? Are you doing something about it by tithing? Are you doing something about it by learning how to budget? Are you doing something about it by learning how to be generous, wildly generous, outrageously generous? Are you being a captain over your discontentment by learning how to be thankful for what you have? Ten lepers were cleansed. One came back to give. Thanks to give. Thanks to give. Thanks to give. Thanks. And he was made whole. He was made whole because he learned how to be thankful. Have you become a captain over your discontentment or has the discontentment made you a captive to bitterness? We all have a lot of reasons to be bitter, but it's a choice. It's not a destiny. It might be your history, but it's not your destiny. Have you decided today to be captain over your distress by taking charge of your emotions, taking charge of the stress, learning how to rest, rather than stress. We talked about that last week too. You've you got to rise up and be captain over these things. And they will change. Your emotions will become lion killers. Your finances will slay lions of debt and need and poverty and lack. And your your thankfulness and gratitude will be like a sword in the heart of bitterness and negativity. 
and victimhood and what's been done to you and what's been thrust upon you and what has held you to your past and what has made you bitter and the things people have done to you. But you rise up and become a captain over your discontentment by being thankful to God anyway. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Begin to think about his benefits rather than your losses. Begin to think about what the good God has done rather than the bad people have done. Begin to thank him for what he's already done in your life and what he's already given you rather than complaining and negative about what you don't have. It doesn't matter what you don't have because let me tell you something, what you don't have will always begin with being thankful for what you do have. If you will, it's like, oh, that the prophet said to that widow, he, 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 she said, I don't know what to do. I don't have any money to pay off the creditors. And he said, what do you have in your house? And she said, all I have is a jar of oil. And he said, be thankful for that and go get it. What she didn't have was eclipsed by her awareness of what she did have. She just needed to be made aware of what was in her house. What's in your house? The Holy Ghost. The love of God. Your temple. You're the temple of God. You lack nothing. It might look like it's out here, it's lack, but in here is the God of abundance. It might look like you, you lack healing, but in here is the, he's, he's the Lord, thy healer. It might look like you, you, you lack opportunity, but up, up in here is the God who opens doors no man can close. You might, oh man, you might be out here, you might feel guilt and condemnation, but in here is the merciful one, the one who is loving you all the time, the one whose mercy is new every morning and his faithfulness never comes to an end. Tap in, my friends, to what is already in you and become captain over the things that are against you. Start ruling over these things by making biblical choices, having a biblical attitude with biblical words, with words of grace, words of faith, words of promise, and be Begin to take captive the things that have held you captive. It's time for you to become greater through, your, through the power of associations. And let me show you something. And let me show you something. These guys, what are their conditions? Distress, dis, dis, debt, and discontent. And what do they do? They gather around day, but we need to gather together. We need to gather on Wednesday. We need to gather on Sunday. So change your schedule. Arrange your schedule. Rearrange your schedule. Stop making church optional. Stop making it something that you just try to fit in if you can. Start making it a priority. Start making the house of God the place of where David's mighty men are born, where giants in the land are born, where, where lion slayers are developed, where disciples are made, where where world changers and life changers and, and kingdom builders are rising up and taking captive and becoming captain over their lives. That's what, that's what David did, and that's what changed these men. You want to know how much they ch these men changed? These guys are in debt, distress, and discontent, and look at what they become. And we'll close with this. Look at Sa 2 Samuel chapter 23. Look at 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. So just a few chapters later, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. 2 Samuel, please. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. Watch this. Then these are the names of the mighty men of David. Where did these guys come from? Everyone who is in debt, everyone who is distressed, and everyone who is discontented. And these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshua, Bashabeth, 
just a name, man. You got to associate with the right people. The Tacmonite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino, the Esnite, because he killed 800 men at one time. These are warriors because they hung around a warrior. Verse 9. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. You see, it doesn't matter how stupid your parents were. (laughs) Ahohite, one of the three mighty men of David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel had retreated. Look at, look at Eleazar, verse, verse 10. Look at this guy. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to his sword. And our hand needs to cling to God's word, the sword of the Spirit. And it says, and his hand was stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him to plunder the enemy and take everything they had. Let me tell you something. This guy defeated the Philistines. Why? Because he hung around the first guy that defeated the Philistines. He surrounded himself with the first guy that killed the king of the Philistines, the giant of the Philistines. He killed the biggest, baddest one among them. And so these guys were like, we got to be around you, man. We got we to learn how to be captain over our, our, over our negativity and captain over our debt and captain over our, over our distress and captain over our enemies. We're surrounding ourselves with you, David. Come hell or high water. We're your men. We're your mighty men. We're staying with you. We're hanging with you. Did David make mistakes? Yes, many of them. But you surround yourself with lion killers and you will become a lion killer. You surround yourself with Philistine killers and you will become a Philistine killer. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11 and then I got to go. I'm sorry, I got to go. Verse 11, look at this. And after him was Shammah. That's one of my tongues, man. That's one of my, that's in my prayer. That somehow got my prayer language. Shalabella Shammah. The son of Agi, the Hararite, the Philistines gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, so the people fled from the Philistines, verse 12. And look at what it says. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, and he defended it. And we've got to stop defending ourselves and start defending God's field and God's people and God's things and God's church. And he killed the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. And then this final guy I want to talk about. There's many others. But look at verse 20. We'll close with this guy. Benaniah. Benaniah, excuse me. Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. It wasn't like he just, you know, killed a couple, you know, weak soldiers. These were lion-like heroes. And then he killed, uh, he went down and killed a lion in the pit on a snowy day when all odds were against him. He became a lion killer in the lion's own backyard where the lion thrives. In the bad weather, the lion thrives. In a pit, the lion thrives. But when you surround yourself with lion killers, you thrive. And it says, he had gone down. 
He wasn't like, oh, a lion. Let me, okay, if I have to, I'll fight him. He saw that lion in that pit, and the lion's going, Arr. sorry to be so dramatic. The lion's just looking up at him. Oh, you get down here. Come down here, boy. I will eat you alive. I will make you my breakfast. I will make you my appetizer. I will pick my teeth with your bones. <laughs> and what did Benaiah do? Bring it on, lion. Oh, it's snowy? No problem. I know how to navigate through snow because I've been with David. I know how to navigate through lions. I've been with David. I know how to navigate through Philistines. I've been with David. I know how to navigate through, uh, through debt, distress, and discontent because I have surrounded myself with the right people. I have chosen the right associations. I know I got some mistakes in my life, but I'm a lion killer anyway. And it says in verse 21, look at what it says. This guy was so great he, that he killed an Egyptian, which represents the worldliness of life. He had a spectacular man. He killed an Egyptian. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff. All he had was a stick. The, the Egyptian had a spear. All Benaiah had was a, was, a, was, a, was a piece of wood, a stick. And he took, grabbed the spear out of this Egypt, spectacular Egyptian man. Killed him with his own spear. Everything the enemy brings against you, you grab it. And you take that enemy out with his own spear. Because no weapon formed against you will prosper. What the enemy sends to defeat you, God bends to complete you. You let those things come at you. You've got the shield of faith. Put that thing up. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. Keep that thing on. You've got the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You've got the helmet of salvation. They can't mess with your head. You've got the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. They can't mess with your path. They've got the helmet of, you've got the breastplate of righteousness. They can't mess with your heart. Let me tell you something. You, knew, you need to know you're surrounded. You're surrounded not only with a host of, of heaven's men and women that have gone before for us and that are that are, the Bible says we have a we have a, this incredible this 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 these heroes of faith that are standing watching and and celebrating and cheering us on in Hebrews chapter 12 he said but let me tell you something you got the everything you need because you're surrounding yourself with the right associations David did not let these men become captain over him he didn't let their bitterness become captain over him he became captain over them don't let the things that have happened to you become captain over you. You become captain over it. Let's stand together. Oh, man. If you're not saved, I want you to come to the altar. If you want to be born again, come to the altar. If you want to be healed of something, come to the altar. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, come to the altar. You want to join the church, come to the class, our next steps class. Otherwise, I bless you and I pray for revelation knowledge for what you've heard today, that it would sink deep into your heart and transform your attitude, your emotions, your finances, and the direction of the choices that you make in your life from this moment forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Thanks for sticking around a little longer. You're dismissed. Love every one of you watching by webcast or watching through our online church community. Call us, write us, let us know that you're here. We'll see you Wednesday night. Can't wait to worship with you then. God bless.